Welcome into the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halsett for 24-7 Sports and CycloneAlert.com. We're back with another edition of the Cyclone Scoop, and this one is going to be back on the recruiting trail. I'm going to be joined by 24-7 Sports Midwest recruiting analyst Alan True in just a minute. Uh, Alan covers the Midwest extensively, um, really knows the prospects from Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Ohio. You go on down the list of the Midwest states, and Alan True is one of the people at 24-7 Sports that is majorly responsible uh, for evaluating those prospects. And uh, you probably, if you're over at 24-7 Sports, see his name quite a bit, dropping recruiting information and, and updates on Iowa State targets and commits. So uh, we're about almost two weeks removed from National Signing Day where Iowa State signed 21 prospects, then added another. So their class sits at 22 prospects, uh, signees in the, in the 2019 class. And that class comes in at number 38 nationally, according to 24-7 Sports. And that is good for number five in the Big 12. So let's dive in and talk to Alan here about that class. Alan, you've been a big help for me in the last several years because, you know, the transition from Paul Rhodes to Matt Campbell has really seen an uptick in Midwest recruiting. And so you've been a lot more involved with with, um, the guys I'm covering. In this 2019 class at Iowa State signed, um, 14 of now 22 are from Midwest states. So a lot of the guys that, that you've seen, and that's why I wanted to bring you on. So um, it's, we're talking about a week after signing day. Thanks for uh, taking some time, and hopefully you got a little bit of time off uh, before you start your crunch onto 2020. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't take a ton of time here. We go right into 2020 recruiting and some camps. So the break for me more comes a little bit later in the spring after some of those Midwest Nike camps. It definitely slowed down a little bit here, so was able to, to have a little bit of time, but the true break, I think, will come more like in May and then July after the camp season as well. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. I've, I'm trying to start to put together my war room for 2020, my my top 20 names for 2020, um, so that'll be coming soon, but uh, a lot of those guys are in the Midwest, but before we jump into 2020 recruiting, let's start with 2019, Iowa State signed 21 prospects early, then they added a 22nd that we'll get to here in a minute. Um, like I said, 14 of those 22 come from the Midwest, and this class comes together 38th in the country when you look at just 24-7 sports rankings, and that's fifth in the Big 12, uh, a spot that Iowa State it likes to be in, I think. You know, they're in that 5-7 to seven range in recent years rather than 9th and 10th in the Big 12. Um, when you look at this class as a whole, is there anything that stands out to you? You know, a lot of these guys, I think, are guys that you you have seen. Is there anything that immediately comes to mind other than maybe where this class ranks compared to years past? Well, I think that immediately when you look at the class, what has to stand out is the two tailbacks, having two four-star guys in the class with Brees Hall and Jarrell Brock. And I don't think that that's by mistake either. I think when you look at the success that Iowa State has had at that position, under Matt Campbell, when you go from uh, a guy like Michael Warren to a guy like David Montgomery, um, and then you even go back to what they did at Toledo with some guys like David Fuel and, and Kareem Hunt, I think it's clear that the staff is, has been able to evaluate that position and develop it really well. So when you look at all of those guys that I mentioned being lower-ranked recruits, at least three-star guys, and now bringing in two four-star guys and two guys who I think complement each other really well, I think that stands out immediately. And then you, you mentioned the, the Midwest recruiting, but you know the Midwest is pretty vast. So I think looking at a bigger picture, when you have a handful of in-state guys, then you're able to go into Kansas, you're able to go into Illinois, South Dakota's represented, 
Um, Ohio is represented. Uh, and then you go outside of that to where they're going out to California and Florida. I think it shows that this staff's able to to go a lot of different places and get recruits. Obviously, you have that immediate footprint in the Midwest that they do well in, but uh, they've shown an ability to go uh, many different places. Kids from you know Texas and Arizona in this class as well, um, they're able to kind of break new ground in some of those places. Yeah, that's something. I, I talked to Iowa State's uh, recruiting coordinator, Alex Golish, uh, around signing day and and he said they, they've really become more comfortable in the Midwest where they're starting close to home. And then they will branch out to, like you said, Texas and Arizona and, and Florida and California as they get deeper into a recruiting cycle. You, you mentioned there the two running backs. And I think you're, you're familiar, I think, really with Jairo Brock. I, I assume you're a little bit familiar with Brees Hall. But Brock is a guy that, that you had evaluated and, and rated really early in the cycle before he really even got some of the major interest. What do you see in those two running backs? Um, you mentioned they complement each other, and I think that's one thing Iowa State really liked was, you know, Jairo Brock, from my perspective, you know, plays really well in space, has played in a spread offense. Brees Hall's a guy that, you know, had, I think, almost 500 yards receiving and, and will flex out and split out wide for his team. It seems like, you know, Iowa State gets two guys that, in my war room this time last year, were the two names I put at running backs. So they were their top targets. They got them. But they also seem, like you said, to fit together really well. Yeah, I don't know that the plan was to take two running backs. I think it was, let's try to get one of these studs, and then they happen to both want to come to Iowa State. So that may have revamped the plan for a little bit. And I I think you got to give both kids credit as well for even, you know, being able to want to be in the class with another guy like that and understanding how two tailbacks can play in the system. So starting with Jirel Brock, um, obviously anytime you beat out a number of regional schools for him, a lot of big 10 schools had offered him, not just offered him, but got him on campus around the same time Iowa state did. That's a good recruiting win. Cause he took a bunch of visits back to back to back to back. Um, looking at schools like Northwestern and Iowa, Minnesota, et cetera. So for, for Iowa state to also be in that group, in that mix and then win that battle, I, I thought it was important on the recruiting trail. And then when you look at the kid, obviously extremely physical. That's the first thing that stands out about him. Had a number of hits, both from his safety position and as a ball carrier that uh, you know were kind of viral type plays where he either depleted a guy, knocked helmets off, or did, did you know something eye-catching uh, when it came to how explosive he was as a hitter. So he could certainly run the ball between the tackles. I think there was some question for us as to level of competition and then was he just a power guy and I thought he answered a lot of those questions as a senior first of all by playing basketball and he was a guy who showed tremendous athleticism uh, on the basketball court and that was something a lot of schools noted when they came through to evaluate him as well and then his, his film shows a lot of elusiveness and ability and space in addition to sort of being a kind of a bigger bulkier wide guy um, I think he has the, the opportunity to be more than just between the tackles. Kid. And then Brees Hall is a little bit more of your, he's kind of a gazelle, long-legged guy, long strider, can get outside, um, can run away from people, and then showed that he belonged uh, when he went down to the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. He was a guy who was not an obvious selection for that game. I think our staff liked him on film, wanted to see, you know, every, every year there's going to be a couple of those guys who, aren't maybe this big-time national recruit that we're intrigued by, that we want to see how they do in that setting. They sink or swim around the best in the country, and uh, he proved that he belonged at that level, and that's where you saw him kind of go up in the rankings as well. And, and uh, that receiving ability that you mentioned with both of those guys, that was definitely on display for Brees during that week uh, in San Antonio. 
you mentioned, you know, with, with someone like Jairo Brock, and it might even be the case with uh, Brees Hall. You know, he was playing at the highest level in, in Kansas for Wichita Northwest. But what is the difficulty for – I think it's probably more difficult sometimes for you to evaluate some of these kids in the Midwest because there isn't a deep pool of, of Power 5 kids in, say, Iowa or Nebraska or South Dakota especially – is there a difficulty to evaluate some of that? You know, I, I think it's probably difficult from a staff standpoint, but even for, you know, our analysts like you at 24-7 Sports, how, how do you, you know, is it just take time to say, okay, Jairo Brock has proved that he can put up 2,000 yards, whether it's against some of these kids at, at Quincy or if he was down in Florida playing against a larger pool of Power Fives? I mean, at what point do, does someone show you like, hey, this kid's legit regardless of competition that he's playing in high school? Well, I think you want to gather as much information as you can, and hopefully you'll see those guys in some areas where you can see them against that type of competition. Um, Brees, we were able to do that. Jirel did not go to a lot of camps, so he still kind of remains an unknown for us, if I'm being honest. He, we didn't get to see him up against uh, national-level competition. I think we just saw that he was so dominant against what he was playing against, and as I mentioned, being able to take uh, some of his basketball results and, you know, gleaning as much as we can about the kid from as many different angles as we can, that helps. But in some cases, in a lot of cases, we may never actually get a true sense until that kid gets to college. So it is a projection, and that's what we're doing a lot of the time. But I think there's been enough kids now who come out of that part of Illinois, who come out of, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, even parts of Iowa, where the competition is not the same as a kid who comes from, let's say, the Chicago suburbs or uh, St. Louis or places like that where the football um, you know, is, is a higher level of high school football. So I think kids have shown that they, they rise above that. So what we've had to do is take every kid on an individual level and uh, try to, as much as we can, see through the levels of competition. And I think in other ways it, it can hurt. Sometimes I think it hurts kids who do play at a really good high school, it's almost the other way in that evaluation where we say, well, this guy's got so much talent around him. This guy's got a great offensive line around him, great offensive system around him. Um, whereas maybe a guy like Jirel, every single week when you played Quincy, that was the guy you game plan to stop. So he had other unique challenges too um, when you look at it from that perspective. I won't go through all these, these guys um, in this class, but – the offensive line is also an interesting spot for Iowa State. It's a spot they're trying to develop, um, really build under Matt Campbell. He's getting closer. You know, they got Trevor Downing from Iowa in, uh, in the in the last class. He already played in two games last year. Um, you know, Joey Ramos is a guy that w was a true freshman last year. Rather too deep from Arizona all of last year. So they're getting closer. But in this class, they get Jared Hufford out of Ohio, a kid they offered early, was a top priority for a long time. They got him. They get Grant Triber out of uh, South Dakota, a kid who had Oregon and Oklahoma State and Minnesota and Nebraska after him. Those were two top kids that they wanted for a while. Plus, you add in Jake Remsburg, who was their first commit, didn't have a ton of offers because he committed so early. And Daryl Simmons, a camp kid that was somewhat of a ratings riser. Um, I don't know how much of – those are all kind of Midwest kids, I don't know, but I don't know how much of them you saw yourself – what what do you see in, in some of those guys? Because they all bring in size, at least. You know, they're they're all starting around 285 to 300, which is a much better starting point than I think we saw in around 2010 where some of these kids were like 245 and they had to come in and put on a ton of weight right away. Yeah, I think first, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's hard to find tackle bodies, and I think they've done that. That's Grant Triber. 
was a kid who uh, had a lot of offers. I think mostly, you know, not I don't want to say mostly, but partially uh, because he has a tackle body and it's hard to find those guys. It's also hard to find those guys who can move around and do some of the things we need at that position. He obviously has those qualities as well, in addition to what his frame looks like. Same thing with Jarrett Hufford, kid who uh, immediately when we put the film on around this time last year, we thought this guy's going to be somebody who blows up. Iowa State was on him early and um, were able, able to win that recruiting battle. So then you kind of move through that class. Ramsburg, another kid, 6'6", 305, another guy who gives you the possibility to play tackle. Daryl Simmons is the smallest guy in the group, but every time we had a chance to see East St. Louis play or when I saw him at the Lindenwood camp, he really, really stood out. Um, saw him play against Detroit King, a team that put a lot of speed on the field. They brought linebackers and safeties off the edge on his side, and he did it extremely well in that game playing tackle so when you project his move inside to guard or center I think he's going to be a really really good one maybe doesn't quite have the upside as the other guys we mentioned because of the frame but um, I, I, as a whole when you look at this class I think you got a little bit of everything you got some big bigger developmental guys you've got some guys who I think are ready to potentially compete right away Hufford's already on campus so I would think he would have a shot to at least compete to be in the two deep next year and then, uh, and then you have some guys that give you some position versatility as well. So when you look at that, plus you got Tommy Manning coming back in with him, uh, and then Jeff Myers, and then also uh, Matt Campbell's uh, history on the offensive line, you would think they'd be able to do a good job developing these guys, like three guys right there who have a lot of experience coaching offensive linemen. Yeah, you made some good points there. Tackle is the area that they, they're really trying to find tackle bodies, and it's easier said than done. They, they tried to get a couple guys late to Gracer in 2018. They ended up elsewhere. And I think they finally did get some tackle bodies in this class. With with Triber and Remsburg, I think they for sure see that tackle. And then they, they think Hufford has position flexibility. Daryl Simmons kind of leads into my next point because you were probably one of the first people to see him at Lindenwood. That's where Iowa State saw him. They I think Iowa State was at that Lindenwood camp. They liked him. They're like, hey, come to our camp next week. He goes to that camp, impressed him again, and then got the offer. He was he was their camp kid, so to speak, in that in this class. You saw him, though, there, and then you saw him again and reevaluated him. I think you said against Detroit King. I remember seeing that. He kind of leads into this question. This is a hard question, and it kind of puts, I think, analysts on the spot because it's to me it's just so hard because – is there a sleeper in this class? You know, and when that word gets thrown around a lot, around a lot by fans, they want to know who's who's kind of the sleeper. But if a kid was known to be a sleeper, he'd probably be rated higher. And I guess it doesn't always come down to rating. I think a kid like Corey Subtle, to me, we have rated pretty respectably. I think he's an 88 by 24-7 sports. Didn't have a ton of offers. It, it, it seems like maybe people don't go into that area of Missouri a ton. Um, so you could classify him as a sleeper, maybe not ratings-wise, but offer-wise. But when you look at this class, is it a Daryl Simmons or Corey Suttle, or is, or is there somebody that you're like, he might end up being better than than schools thought or than his recruitment showed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, first to touch on your point there, um, we can't rank every kid highly. You can't rank every kid a four-star, obviously. Um, so we try to, you know, be a little bit judicious about just throwing every guy that gets a Power 5 offer a higher rating. Um, but there are always kids in the three stars that we always say, you know, that one kind of makes us nervous because he could outplay the ranking, but maybe we just didn't see enough or, or he still had so much developing to do that we kept him ranked where he was. So I think when you look at a couple of those guys in this class, Von Zell Kelly is one that, um, you know, playing in the area he played in, didn't see him a ton at camp, 
flashes some things on film. Know that uh, he did really well at Iowa State's camps and some other places he went. He's a guy that I would call a sleeper. Doesn't get talked about a ton. Didn't have a big, big offer list. He's one that I think could could outplay that ranking. And then the final guy in the class, I'm sure you'll you'll want to touch on this later, Deshaun Davis. He is the very picture of what a sleeper is. A guy who didn't even come into the class until after National Signing Day. Our you know our own that's in Ohio, Bill Green does an outstanding job of canvassing that area, especially the Cleveland area. And he kind of admitted, kind of missed that. I kind of missed that one. And uh, so you, when you look at his profile and then you turn on the film, you see some of the things he does athletically at his size. That's certainly a guy that, that we could turn around in a couple of years and go, uh, you know, maybe we, we should have looked harder at that one. Um, and when you go back into some of the previous classes, they've done a good job of guys like that. Michael Rose, stands out as an example of that. We happened to be able to catch Michael Rose a little bit, and, and so he was rated pretty highly. Um, but when you look at a guy like Deshaun Davis, or a guy like Vonzel Kelly, those are two that I would say when you when I look at this class as an analyst, those two, I, I, I say, scares me in the standpoint of I think that we could look back in a couple of years and say maybe we missed that rating. Yeah, and there's so many kids, it's hard to I – mean, you're always going to – anybody's going to miss a guy here or there because – you know, it's the same reason a kid might end up at a, a Mac school and then become a first round pick, you know, and all these power fives missed because kids just kind of, it seems like in the Midwest, especially they can fly under that radar a little bit. You you kind of read my mind there. I was going to bring up Deshaun Davis in the fact that, and you also brought up Mike Rose. Mike Rose was a kid that they flipped from Ball State and then was a freshman All-American last year, started 13 games as a true freshman and we did have rated really respectably. You know, he was towards the top of their class. And so obviously that evaluation is proven correctly through one year, but he was so under the radar. One power five offer, Iowa State. You look back, even in that same class, Will McDonald, we had rated really well. Iowa State wanted to burn his red shirt last year. I talked to Matt Campbell last week. They might move him to outside linebacker next year to get him on the field, but they want him to play next year as a, now a red shirt freshman. And he had a lot of offers late after Iowa State, but he was so early. Does Matt Campbell and his staff have that ability, do you think, a little bit to, to under uncover some of these sleepers because of their Toledo ties, where that was kind of what they had to do a little bit more in the MAC? Yeah, I think they're a, class, a, a, a staff that trusts their evaluations. And you see that with wanting to – with doing what they did essentially with a guy like Daryl Simmons, which is we see this guy, we like him, let's get him to camp. Um, they could have easily just offered him after that. Lindenwood camp, they got him on campus, did another thorough evaluation on him, worked with him personally, too. I think that's important in a lot of these cases. Um, but they leave no stone unturned. And they've shown the ability to go out and recruit at a high level and win a battle like Jirel Brock or, or hang on to a guy like Brees Hall who ends up getting a bunch of offers afterwards. But I think that what makes them uh, so good at what they do is their classes aren't just guys like that. They, they do take guys that, um, that are a little bit under the radar and, and guys that they trust their evaluation on. And I think given the history of how well they've done with those guys, uh, you have to trust them whenever they go after a guy like Deshaun Davis and Vonzel Kelly and some of those guys. So that's why I always I say, you know, uh, those, those guys stand out as potential sleepers in this class, partly because of what we've seen on film, but also – and another part of that is that this staff has, has usually hit on those guys whenever they've brought them in. So uh, Michael Rose, great example of that. Will McDonald, another example of that as well. 
let's move on to 2020 here uh, a little bit. Um, Iowa State's already started that 2020 class in the same way they've really recruited, period. You know, through this 2019 class, Matt Campbell's put together four classes, and 48% have come from the Midwest. Their first three commits of 2020 are from the Midwest, so they're staying close to home. They're staying in those roots. Um, I, I, I won't go through all three names in the 2020 class, but Aiden Bowman, a quarterback out of Minnesota, his, his father, Todd Bowman, played for the Minnesota Vikings and several other teams, I think 10 years in the NFL. He coaches him, so you know he's getting developed by somebody who's played at that highest level. I don't know how much you've seen him yet. It's still pretty early. He went to a couple Iowa State camps, but I'm not sure he's been to much national stuff. Um, he's a lefty, good frame. Do you know much about him yet, or, or what do you think about you know them adding him? Because I know the, from what I've heard, Iowa State's pretty high on him, uh, but it's still pretty early in the process for 2020. Yeah, so the, he first kind of came on my radar. His high school did a team camp at a Division II school up in Minnesota, and one of those coaches on that staff uh, I happened to run into, and he said, hey, we just had Buffalo at our team camp, and their quarterback is going to be a major, major guy. And so that was when we first started tracking Aiden, and uh, he's got some very obvious things that you like. 6'5", 200 pounds, big kind of pro-style guy, um, your classic quarterback mold, can really, really throw the football. And then obviously with the pedigree he comes from, been around football a lot, so you, you love all those things about him. Um, he's not a statue, though, at 6'5", which I think for Iowa State system, you can't be stationary. You don't have to be a dual threat necessarily, but you can't be stationary and play in their system. He can move around. Uh, play some other sports, athletic guy. So a lot of qualities that you like for a 2020 kid. Maybe have not, like you said, he's been out to a ton of different camps yet, so we haven't necessarily seen him side-by-side side with some of the other top 2020 quarterbacks in the class. But certainly as a starting point right now, uh, there is a whole lot to like about him. He checks off a, a lot of boxes. It'll be interesting with him. I, I know Iowa State, he went to two camps, and they just fell in love with him. And he matches up now perfectly with kind of Brock Purdy, who's going to be a – maybe a junior by the time Bowman would get to campus. And, and it just they're offset pretty well if, if he is the future at that position. Still a little pre premature, but really intriguing. Like you said, he, he kind of has the size that, you know, some of those blue bloods look for in a quarterback. And um, uh, will be interesting to see how his recruitment unfolds because, you know, it wouldn't be shocking if, if schools try to still go after him. Um, just diving into – we won't go into a ton of the targets, but – you know, obviously, Iowa State wants to start close to home. Uh, they've got two commits in the class, and Tyler Miller um, from Green County, a six foot eight, almost six foot nine, I think, offensive tackle body, um, and then Cole Peterson from you know Central Decatur in, in Southern Iowa, who is does a little bit of everything at a smaller school, but is going to be a linebacker for them. But there's two Iowans that really stick out to me in particular that Iowa State's going to be targeting here in the months ahead, and. Um, similar thing where I don't think they've been to a, a ton of camps, um, but Josh Volk, an offensive lineman out of Cedar Rapids, um, he's got Iowa State, Iowa, Nebraska, and then Blaze Gunnarsson's really interesting to me because, and it's probably hard for you, he missed his junior season last year because of a torn labrum in his hip. Not a lot of film, but even without that film, um, he's picked up offers from you know Nebraska, Kansas State, Minnesota, and then Iowa and Iowa State had offered last summer with camp. Uh, let's just stick on, I guess, those two in particular because they are from the state of Iowa. Um, what do you see in those two guys? And you know, I don't know how much we know about the recruitments yet, but you know, Iowa and Iowa State could be battling it out for both of those guys. 
Yeah, so first on Josh Volk, you know, it's funny you mentioned Blazers injury. Now, Josh has an injury, you know, hurt his ACL late in the year. Um, he's going to miss, like, a lot of the camp season. But prior to that, you know, he, he was training at Strength U and was doing a really good job there, showed some different things where, you know, he's kind of a bigger, wider body, so you may not expect him to be this great athlete, but had a chance to see some of his, his workout film and even some of the things he was doing in basketball, dunking a basketball that showed his explosiveness as longer arms, too, than you may think for a guy with his build. So he's a really good prospect. I think the question is how he's going to recover from this injury. Um, it obviously didn't affect Nebraska, who recently extended an offer his way. I do think that, you know, those three are – are kind of neck and neck and neck, Nebraska, Iowa, and Iowa State. I've got a crystal ball in for Iowa. I think their uh, history of sending offensive linemen to the NFL, that's that has them ahead right now. But I think he really, really likes Iowa State staff, and that's going to be their chance um, to rise you know, above the other schools in that recruitment. So that's kind of my take on Josh Blaze. Um, you know, big frame, good athlete. Uh, like you said, missed, missed time, so we haven't had a – fresh evaluation on him, but you like his base level tools. Iowa has kind of rolled out the red carpet for him recently. Um, both him and Joshua on campus on the same day, and they, they really kind of uh, made it a day for those two. However, he obviously has a ton of family ties to Iowa State. I think uh, he has four brothers that all went to Iowa State, uh, been up there a ton. So I, I think of the two right now, uh, I think I think Iowa State is in good shape for both of them, or at least in the running for both of them. I would say they have a better shot at Blaze right now because of the family connection. Yeah, and, and uh, for people listening, Blaze's brother, Gage Gunnarsson, um, has been on Iowa State's equipment staff in recent years, um, or at least last year. He's now switched from a equipment manager to um, they played in they played in the you know the managers versus equipment game. And um, I don't know, there's a ton of stuff on Twitter. Like he was their quarterback and was playing really well. He's actually a walk-on now. So that that's an interesting wrinkle to it too. Like you said, he already had the family ties, but his brother's now actually a member of the team. Um, let's end here um, be just with a couple of general recruiting topics. One of them is kind of the early offers. And that's something that we've talked about before with Iowa State. I think they got some flack early in Campbell's tenure for being one of the top two teams or so that would put out offers. They've started to fall on that list a little bit, basic more or so because they're getting kids committed early enough where they're not having to extend offers later in the cycle. Um, but when they've put out some of these early offers, a lot of them, the reason they're putting out offers, in my opinion, is because some of these kids are blowing up. You look at 2020, they offered Dante Manning out of Kansas City, and they were his first offer, I think, back in October. In the last four weeks, he's gotten Michigan, Oklahoma, Iowa, Notre Dame, um, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, the list goes on. And I think they could remain in that race, but his recruitment's just blown up. You look at 2021, and they offered quarterback J.J. McCarthy as an eighth grader. You know, he, he hadn't even started ninth grade. He was at their campus eighth grade, at, you know, going into his ninth grade year, and they offered him. And since then, he's gotten Ohio State and just this pl plethora of offers, and he's become a national prospect. I mean, What's your vantage point when you, you're seeing what all these schools are doing about Iowa State's early offers and, and the reasoning that maybe it leads to more offers in, in their early evaluations? Yeah, so I, I think um, early offers and kind of – it's only bad when the offers aren't end up not being committable and uh, schools, you know, shed guys off the board later or don't take their commitments or run guys out of classes and that kind of thing. Iowa State doesn't do that. 
So I think a lot of these, you know, these offers are all legitimate offers. They're committable offers. They are offers that, um, that, that, that are done through, you know, them being out there on the road and evaluation. And, and so a lot of these guys, like you mentioned, end up blowing up and uh, they don't go to, even if they don't go to Iowa State, those offers remain. So it looks like this large number, but um, I, I think that they just cast a wide net. And as we mentioned earlier, they, they trust their evaluation and they put out a lot of offers. So as long as it's not a situation where they're, they're putting out a bunch of phony offers, which they aren't, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that some of the flack that they get for it is warranted. So, uh, and it's worked for them. I, I think when you look at how many guys uh, ha, have gone through and um, that they've been able to get because they were one of the first offers for And this goes back to Toledo. They were extremely aggressive there. You go back and look uh, a few years ago, how many guys signed in the Big Ten where their first offer was Toledo. I think it's the same philosophy. Yeah, and, and it paid off a little bit at Toledo. I mean, Eni Wazrike is a guy that is they think has a very high ceiling and started obviously last year, will be a starter next year at defensive end. He was going to go to Toledo, you know, until Iowa State and Matt Campbell got to Iowa State in, you know, November, December 2015. You know, he was – I. It's interesting to imagine someone like that playing, you know, in the MAC, you know, and he's obviously now at a Power Five, but that was because they were on him so early, and some other factors played into that recruitment too. But um, I guess, you know, to end uh, and then you know let you get back to work a little bit. What's your kind of overview? And it's so early. We're starting to see some of these Iowans. Um, you know, there's a handful or so that are starting to get, power, you know, FCS interest, MAC interest, and that's just going to start to heat up with junior days, but. When you look at the, the state of Iowa overall in 2020, does it feel like this will be a, a typical year? I mean, I think – I don't know if we'll ever see a year like maybe it was 2017 where there were like 15 Power 5 guys. That was one of the best years I can remember in the state of Iowa. But does this feel like it could end up being a, a pretty decent year for the state of Iowa at this really, really early juncture? I think we probably won't really know until we get through spring evaluations and, and summer camps. But in the early going, it seems like there could be 10 or so guys, maybe, maybe a dozen. Yeah, I think it feels like a, a normal year. Uh, I don't think it feels particularly strong or weak. I, I think we're going to probably hit around the same number uh, of Power 5 guys as normal, same number of FBS guys as normal. Um, there's maybe not that one kind of national guy at the very top of it all, um, but, but you know, a good group, I think, there when you look at the top five, six, seven. And the thing about the state of Iowa, there's always kids that pop up late. Um, there's always somebody that you go into even November, December of their senior year, somebody comes up and we're, we're like, where was that guy? You know, guys, um, even sometimes that are committed to the UNI or, or programs like that. So I think we've, the challenge for us is to be able to find and identify some of those guys earlier. But uh, I, I do think that, you know, those guys are definitely out there in this class. There's a couple of kids that I think we've kind of identified that, that may be those guys. Um, but I do think that early on 2020, fairly typical year it does look like 2021 though on the other hand might be a pretty strong year inside the state yeah and that kind of ties us all together the the early offers the under the radar kids you know you look at last year zach peterson was a guy that i think it was it was late december popped up and then iowa state burned his red shirt last year as a true freshman you know this kid that just popped up late in the state of iowa was under the radar for almost the entire cycle and then iowa state plays him i think nine games last year it's it's kind of a weird weird state in that sense where sometimes these kids just come out of nowhere and then you know could be early impact guys you know even when they get to Iowa or Iowa State or 
if they leave the state. So um, we touched a lot of topics. There's probably a lot more we could go into, and I'm sure I'll have you on in a later edition of the Cyclone Scoop. But, Alan, uh, I'll let you get back to work, and, and thanks for coming on to help break down you know, some of this stuff. I know a lot of people really like your insight, and, and a lot of people have been following you way back since you know I was at Scout and that sort of thing. So it, it's uh, good to hear from you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, and always happy, uh, always happy to come on and talk to Cyclones. So that was 24-7 Sports Midwest recruiting analyst Alan True, and thanks again to Alan for taking some time out of his schedule. He's already on to 2020 recruiting. He's been dropping uh, updates and information over at 24-7 Sports about some of Iowa State's uh, targets for 2020. And as we talked about there, Iowa State's already got three commits in the 2020 recruiting class, and quarterback Aiden Bowman out of Minnesota, offensive lineman Tyler Miller out of Greene County uh, in Iowa, and linebacker Cole Peterson out of um, Leon, Iowa, but plays at Central Decatur. Um, so those are their three commits, all three Midwest, and um, Allen will be, I'm sure, all over those guys and, and a lot of the other targets that Iowa State is on in the Midwest right now. So that'll do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. If you haven't checked out the other ones, this is the fourth episode now, I think. Um, there have already been episodes with Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell, Iowa State tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Alex Gullis. We broke down Iowa State's outlook for the rest of the Big 12 basketball season, um, and now this one with Alan True. So uh, if this is your first one, you can find those other ones on pretty much any podcast player uh, out there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, make sure you subscribe, and, and uh, you'll get the other one, uh, the next one, on your phone then. So thanks again for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next time.